Hello, everybody. This is Pasha. Thank you so much for being here. And today we're going to have such an interesting conversation. I invited Marley Lees, who is a sensuality coach and an advocate for, um, I love how you call it, it's restorative justice, right? Mm -hmm. and that, that term was just so powerful for me when I read it. Uh, that's why I invited you to this to, to have this conversation. And well, before I start sharing why I was so interested in having you in this space, I would really love for you to just um, to, to just introduce yourself as well to, to let us know a little bit about you. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, so my name is Marley. I currently live in Canada. Um, yeah, I'm a coach for women and non-binary folk reclaiming sensual empowerment. I'm a queer Jewish feminist. Um, I'm also a speaker and advocate for restorative justice, which we'll talk more about today. Um, my background's in like somatic sex education and social work, as well as eating disorder prevention. So I do a lot of work with, with body love and I'm also a a human who loves to dance and hang out and do put sparkles on my face. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for, for, um, for accepting this invitation. And you, you shared something about a very powerful and painful experience you went through that inspired you to look for justice like it's not just the fact that you work with somatic healing and sexuality uh for others but it's like like so many of us that step into the healing field there's something that push us towards this this path it's it didn't just happen but we were pushed somehow by our experiences but you had a very specific experience and the thing that that I find even more because unfortunately it's a very common one as well like it, I wish I could say that oh this doesn't happen to most women but that's false this happens to um, a vast majority of women in some way or another mm -hmm. but then you took action in a way that it's totally revolutionary and it's totally new so I would really love uh, for you to to share a little bit about that um of course, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, because I know that it's a, a delicate topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. So yeah, this story specifically is like, kind of started, I guess, back in 2016, I experienced sexual assault, which like you said, so many of us go through, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I experienced rape from a stranger. And that really sent me into like a dark night of the soul, like deep depression, um, PTSD. I think in the past, my mindset had been really like, oh, I can push through pain. I can suck it up and get on with my life. But in this case, my body was like, no, you can't. And I would have these very physical reactions, like shaking or I would like break out in hives. And it really forced me onto a, a deeper healing path that included my body right like it wasn't just um meditate and mindset and things like this it was like no I have to actually like focus on my relationship to my body so that's kind of when I found all these beautiful um modalities for healing like somatics and embodiment and 
sensual sacred sensuality and all these things of course that was like a big journey I wasn't just like no I'll do all this but that was a big part of it so the the revolutionary piece that that you're talking about is that so after my my assault I literally googled my friend and I googled what do you do after rape and it was like go to the hospital do a rape kit um report to the police and so I did end up reporting and that meant I did not know that it did but that meant I was like quote quote consenting to a three-year trial process and at this point I did not know that restorative justice existed I didn't know that there were any alternatives to the punitive system it felt like you either go to court or nothing at all and I didn't want nothing I couldn't like fathom that so I was like okay I'll report um definitely want to note that the fact that I was even like listened to by a police officer that is so rare and that's like a reflection of my privilege too as a white person and cisgender person um and I think it's so sad that that's like privilege in our world like oof so much to unpack but so I reported and ended up going to a preliminary trial and this is basically it's not the full out kind of trial we see on tv and stuff it's like a smaller one to see if there's enough evidence so I went to that trial two years after the assault and it was just a contrast like it was the opposite of everything I was trying to do in my healing so in my healing I was trying to teach myself like my boundaries matter my voice matters. Like if I'm uncomfortable, I can say no, I can ask for what I need. But the court process was like, no, you're going to do what we need you to do in order to convict this guy. And that became like very, not just re-traumatizing, but like borderline abusive. Mm -hmm. So that to me, I was like, this does not make any sense. This is when I was really starting to question this whole system. Um, that happened once the trial was done they were like yes there is enough evidence to go to criminal trial so I was like I'm going to put that on the back burner I need to just focus on my own healing again so I kept focusing on my own healing in that time I like shifted into more of a leadership space with women's work I published a book on like sexual my experience with sexual assault and survival um, I started leading women's retreats and having events and things like this um, so a year after that, so now it had been three years since the assault, mm -hmm. I was called to a criminal trial. And at this point, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I want to drop the charges. Um, I just don't see the point. Like, it's, it's so painful for me on an emotional level. And also, like, I don't see how this is going to end harm. Like, I don't see how this is going to make this guy a better person. I don't see how this is going to help prevent sexual violence in our world and help us heal from that pain. So this is when I was going to drop the charges. And I said to a close friend, I was like, you know, if it was my world, we wouldn't freaking do it like this. Like we would sit down together and we'd like cry and grieve. And I'd like ask the questions I want to ask. He would take accountability. He would go through some process of transformation. That just made more sense to me on a human level. And she looked at me and she said, so make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that like 
really lit a fire for me. It was the first time, and I think all of us can relate to this, like I had this kind of want and desire and vision sitting in me, but I invalidated it. I was like, this is delusional. This is too much to ask for. It's not enough to ask for. And so I just was like, "Mm, this isn't valid. And it wasn't until she said that, that I was like, wait a second, it is valid. Like what I want is valid and I deserve to ask for it and advocate for it. So um, that's kind of when I started researching and that's when I found restorative justice. And restorative justice has been around for a long time. It's rooted in indigenous, um, Jewish, which are part of my roots as well, and Mennonite cultures. And at the very simple level, it's basically saying, instead of like something bad happens, and instead of saying, who do we punish? The first question is like, wow, like who was harmed and how can we help and heal? Right? So this makes so much more sense to me so once I found that I was like oh my gosh what I've been wanting has a name and a lineage and it's actually a thing so this is when I kind of found a lawyer and we like marched into the prosecutor's office and we asked for this and it's obviously like like that has not been done before in the legal system for sex crimes it's been done for like 12 year old shoplifting kind of thing but not for like bigger crimes so there was this like two month period where there was back and forth like they were like it's happening it's not happening it's happening so eventually I got a call from my lawyer and he said um it's gonna happen like this is happening your assailant is gonna start therapy right away which he did and eventually you'll meet in this eight hour circle so my assailant started therapy um went through an incredible process of like unlearning toxic masculinity um learning about consent and respect towards women and unpacking any trauma and conditioning in his life that made him degrade women or like Mm -hmm. feel that sense of entitlement to our bodies so that was really meaningful and then about seven months after him going to therapy we met in that circle And it was honestly like one of the most healing experiences. It was definitely whole, like it was really intense and really hard, but sort of like this death rebirth experience, like a lot, a lot, a lot of emotions, but we did it. Like we showed up, he was fully present, um, which was very much like my, my want for him to be present. He took accountability. He like looked me in the eyes and said, I'm sorry, I sexually assaulted you. And there's nothing I can do to take it back. But I hope that being here today can help. And I feel like every cell in my body needed to hear that. Like it was like relief. Like I just was like bawling and bawling. And I feel like I was like really letting something go on a physical level. Um, So it was so powerful. And we kind of left the room that day and we were like, wow like the world needs to know about this and and we all deserve a version of justice that bridges like brings in and honors our healing not opposes it so that's kind of when we decided to be loud about it and I chose to share it with the media and like six articles and like Forbes half post but it came out in one day and I started receiving like 
hundreds and then thousands of emails and DMs from survivors and people impacted by sexual violence. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm making this my life. Like I've been like speaking about restorative justice and advocating ever since and launched my coaching business, which is all about like supporting women in that, in that embodied reclamation. So it's been a wild journey. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Just as you shared your story, there were so many, so many points and so many reactions in my body as I was listening to you. So um, going first of all from the, from the first point that you mentioned um, that really caused me a reaction that was, uh, yes, it is a privilege, uh, of course, to be able to, to go and get justice and, and just even ask for justice. Unfortunately, uh, that doesn't happen everywhere. Like, of course, you, you, we were speaking a little bit beforehand that you were, you were sharing that you have lived in Mexico. And so, you know, here, here in Mexico, things are so different, right? Like just mm -hmm. the fact of daring to go. And I think that, that that is something that happens, of course, everywhere, but in some places it's more, it's even more difficult. Of course, we wouldn't be saying this to a woman in Dubai where just being raped would be a, a death sentence for her, not, not for, or, or a jail sentence for her, not for her, yeah. for, for her, um, the, the person that attacked her. So, um, I find that so powerful because I, I find that it, it starts draining down, right? like uh, usually justice and, and this awareness movements um, go I, either way. Either they start from the from uh, these places that have more inequality and they start escalating or they start going from the places that have a little bit more privilege and they and they start draining down uh, mm -hmm. as as a new vision and a new invitation to look at things in a, in a different way. And then, yes, please. Yeah, so the really amazing thing about restorative justice and transformative justice, which is another very similar process, um, restorative justice comes from indigenous Jewish Mennonite communities, like I said, and transformative justice comes from black and transgender communities. And part of the reason that transformative justice especially was created was because this awareness that marginalized bodies get screwed over and neglected and abused and just the shit end of the stick through these like patriarchal predominant systems. So they actually like created these versions of justice as a way to, to acknowledge that, hey, these systems are failing us. Let's, let's handle this ourselves. Let's look at healing this ourselves. So like it is actually rooted in, in those communities. And um, it's such a beautiful, resilient way, I think, of, of healing. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. For, um, for, for, you you um, mentioned that at first, but it's so important to, to remind that, like, yes, it, it came from this, from these cultures as, as a way of not uh, pushing aside the person that, that committed a crime, but healing and creating a healing space, which actually should be the ideal, right, for, for prisons instead of just uh, locking people down and throwing away the key, we would we should be wanting to to heal people that uh, many many times are there because they have no 
choice in their mind. Uh, of course, we all have a choice, but there's life circumstances might have pushed them there. Uh, and many times it has to do with how we as a culture have pushed people into poverty and into lack of e e equity. So that yeah. really that, that really matters. Mm -hmm. Then the re-traumatization, right? That that has uh, that that has been a common a, a common factor for women complain uh, uh, filing a complaint about sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. How traumatizing that experience can be, and mm -hmm. how that keeps many women from going all the way, and mm -hmm. uh, and from daring to to daring to speak up and then being believed. Right, yes. so many times we're, and I think that's where privilege that, that we were discussing comes. Like, uh, unfortunately, a woman of color has a little bit of a harder time because there is a mistrust in in the justice system. There is a mistrust in in the way in which they are perceived and, and even heard. Mm -hmm. So, I, I just I, I just want to take a moment to take that into my body because that just feels really moving, and yeah. and to appreciate the courage that it takes for you and for all the women that dare to speak mm -hmm. up because so many times we don't and you speak about saying yes to a process that would take years which is also another reason why women don't speak up mm -hmm. so what i'm hearing is this way of making justice different in a different way would also mm -hmm. imply that more women would have a chance to actually speak up because it wouldn't need to be so traumatizing. It wouldn't need to be so, uh, because of course there is this part of compassion in which we don't really want to, to uh, and I am, uh, yeah, I don't really love that I'm going to say that, but we don't really want to uh, ruin the life of another person, even when this person, ruin uh, or, or make it so hard for us yeah. in so many cases right but there is this compassion and yeah. i just really find that so powerful it's so important because it's almost like we're bringing in a we're bringing in a third option because like i said for me in that moment of, of choosing to report my the options that i knew which most of us know i hear this all the time where people say i didn't know this was an option before i heard your story and this is part of why i'm like i want to share it again and again and again till everyone knows that there are alternatives because for me and so many of us it's like we think i can either report and try to get to a trial with the goal of conviction or nothing at all and those are really big extremes like there's yeah. there needs to be other options and this shows us that there are like I I didn't even if I'd known that restorative or transformative justice existed I wouldn't have ever gotten the police involved I would call my local restorative justice agency which we all like I don't know about Mexico but like if anyone googles restorative justice with their town's name like you'll, you'll be able to find agencies that can help and support you. And you don't actually ever have to get the police and the whatever involved. So all these, all these really important points that you're, you're bringing of like, yeah, women of color have like that relationship with the police. That's very complex and it has been really abusive. And so 
We don't even need to get them involved. It's like go to the agency and handle it in the community. The beauty of that too is like you said, like this kind of complex piece of being, having compassion or empathy towards the person. And oh, I have so many thoughts on this, but like you were saying too, like there are so many reasons why someone commits violence. And when we just look at the one person and we say, you did this cause you're bad. That's like not a real or complete response. It's like, we have to consider, you know, was this person abused growing up? Have systems been abusing them and depriving them of human rights their whole life? Um, has media taught them that violence towards women is cool and admirable? Like we have to acknowledge so many moving parts. So when we acknowledge that, like that's, I think part of where that compassion comes in is like, wow, like what brought you to that point where you're committing harm? Um, so there's so much to it. For me, that that's, uh, I, I can see the duality. I can see the part that has this very fair rage that, that it's like, fuck it. I don't really want to be compassionate or to do the emotional labor for you. You are hurting mm -hmm. me. And, and I think that that is super valid. And on the other hand, I didn't uh, I didn't persecute the the guys that hurt me when I when I was younger, and it wasn't out of compassion. It was because it would have been such a big trouble. It would have been such a big thing to have to go through, you know, making sure and, and confirming that they did what they did. And that could have been such a big trouble. That could have been traumatizing. So I just really want to reassure people that it's okay to be angry because patriarchy has screwed us over for a long time and we don't need to do emotional labor. And yet again, we also need to be part of the healing. And it's important to dare to be angry but when it comes to actually facing our our perpetrators, we don't perpetrators. <laughs> we don't really get to do it if we don't have a system that is supportive. Yeah. And the only way to create a system that is supportive, it's by actually being um, moving from a place of compassion. Mm -hmm. I want to bring in this perspective too. Like I, yeah, I really appreciate the points that you're bringing up and the wholeness of it, because I think that we're really taught to hold this dichotomous way of looking at things, right? Where we're like, was that circle for her or for him? Mm -hmm. And the truth about restorative transformative processes is it's for everyone. It's for all of us. And that's a really different thing to wrap our heads around. So the way we're taught to think, because we're all raised with a punitive mindset, we're all raised with this thing of someone does something bad, punish them, throw them away. That's justice. That's um, making things right. That's what we're all taught, right? Um, so our, our go-to mindset is like looking at the person who caused harm and either saying we're going to punish them or what do they need to heal? Um, which isn't the whole picture, right? So that's what we've been talking about already is like, why do, why for him? 
do that. Um, but I think it's really important to say that like that process was for me as yeah. well. That process yeah. was me prioritizing my needs first and mm-hmm. foremost, mm-hmm. right? Studies have shown that survivors' biggest needs are um, to know that that person won't do that again, mm-hmm. um, to experience accountability. So to have that person be like, I did do this, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And third, to, to form a coherent narrative, which is where we are able to piece things together and say, oh, that happened because of this and this and this, like make some sense of something that feels so overwhelming and confusing. So those are, if those are our biggest needs, and for me, those were definitely my biggest needs, including, um, including to speak to this point that you brought up, including a space that makes room for emotion. Mm-hmm. There's no room for emotion in a courtroom. Like you have to be neutral. You can't be too emotional because they'll say that you're unstable and we can't believe you. You can't be too neutral and calm because they'll say that you're a sociopath. Like you have Mm -hmm. to play this part. Whereas in a restorative space, it's like the, the realest value is humanness. So it's like, show up with your anger, show up with your sadness, show up with your joy, show up with your badassery, whatever it is. And also you're not the one doing the emotional labor. There's mediators, there's mediators there who are doing it. So it's not like I said, oh, I'm going to save this person. I'm going to fix them. I'm going to be the hero and do this for them. That wasn't what it was. It was like, that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, here's what I need desperately in order to be okay and to heal. Here's what I need. Oh, those needs are compatible with a restorative process. Wow. Mm -hmm. Then I go to that process and magically that meets that person's, my assailant's needs as well. Mm. That's such an important part of of this because... Unfortunately, we as women were taught to be uh, to do the emotional labor, and it it would be very easy to fall into that trap, right? Like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to fix them with the superpower of my super love, and that's not that's not what you're speaking about at all. And, and also, what you are uh, what you are talking about, um, it's one of the reasons why so many women have such a re-traumatizing experience bringing their their perpetrators to justice. Because the, I, I have literally read many um, ma- many recounts in which when women were speaking to, to justice, they would be received like, oh my God, you don't seem too affected or you don't seem too, uh, too disturbed. Maybe you wanted it. So the, the, there is this mental game that messes up the mind of somebody that it's speaking up for herself and daring to, to, to file a complaint. And that is just as harmful as the uh, the original abuse. They they really uh, speak about being raped a second time by the justice system when they do the exams, when they do everything to 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 prove that that it was true that that she wasn't just making it up. So, thank you for bringing that up. That, I, that that's the part that I find so important about this. That it's. 
it's a new and then again i love that you mentioned that it's not really new it's something that that was the way in which it was done uh yeah. it, it's it's reclaiming this way of doing things that it's actually going to heal because it's so easy to just play the me versus you us versus them uh, card when it comes to to anything in our culture right oh the people that are for and the people that are against and men and women and this and that mm -hmm. and that's just it's not not wholesome enough it's not, it's yeah. not for the real human experience and it's not effective either like i think of it I think of it on a really, like, I like to simplify things because it can feel so complex, right? Like we're talking about rape culture and the justice system and it's like, they're big things. Um, but I just think like, say you put a bunch of things in a laundry machine, okay? You put like three different shirts that are all ripped in the laundry machine and you like toss it over and it does the laundry. It's like rolling, rolling, whatever. And then it's done and you open it up and you expect different clothing items to come out. It's like, that's not going to happen until you put new clothing items in. So I think it's the same thing. If we're trying to end dehumanization, we can't use dehumanizing strategies to get there. It won't take us there. We're trying to end violence we can't be violent to end violence like it, it won't that won't do it it just won't work um on like a really simple formulaic level um so i think like that's part of what it is is just hey like if if what hurt me most is being dehumanized I don't want that behavior to persist in the world. So I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to dehumanizing others. I want to actually like break that cycle and play a role in creating the world that I do want to be a part of. I love that. I really want to emphasize that. Like what, what the most harmful part was dehumanization. I had never seen that with that clarity that yeah that that's what hurts that that's what sexual abuse does for us it makes us less than human it makes us yeah less than human so that the I think of the of the quote by Audrey Lordy like we cannot uh, break the master's house with the master's tools right mm -hmm. so that, yeah. that just feels so so powerful and what's next how do you work with this uh with mm -hmm. people how do you support people to go through this process yeah so there are kind of two branches of my work i kind of say that i work with central reclamation on an embodied and systemic level so embodied i'm like it's probably similar to you like bring it back to the body um i have this like gorgeous program called central wholeness academy and i work with women all over the world and like feeling safe in our bodies and feeling radical acceptance for ourselves, validating our desires enough to ask for them, knowing that that shit changes the world like it did for me, right? If I hadn't validated that desire, I wouldn't have asked for it and it wouldn't have happened. Um, naming our boundaries, like all of these incredible things. Um, and then on a systemic level, 
Okay, wait, on a systemic level, that is more for me, like restorative justice advocacy. So I do speaking, like I'll speak for government officials. I've done like consulting for the US military about how they respond to sexual assault, like speaking in university lectures about this story. And what I really feel like I've been reflecting on what's my role in this movement, right? Because like we said, I didn't create it. Like this has been, this has been happening for a long time. And it's such a beautiful movement and an important one. So for me, I feel like the power of storytelling, like just telling my own story and helping people understand why, like why restorative and transformative approaches, like just planting those seeds in our hearts and minds to be like, oh, okay, I, like, I get that. I'm going to think about this differently. And then pointing people to the agencies that are doing more of the how, right? How do we actually implement it? There's so many agencies and organizations doing that work. Um, and I'll add, I, again, as I'm sure you know and preach, like it's all so connected. I really feel like that relationship between society and the soma, like our bodies, it's so reciprocal. And so like society is constantly shaping what I feel in my body, but also what I feel in my body is shaping society as well. So I just see the magic of like how the embodied work ripples out into our communities and relationships and systems too. Mm, that's so important and that's so true. It, it, I, I find that that, um, that relationship between how our bodies are affected by culture and culture is affected by, by our bodies. It's, maybe the most um the, the place where we start it, it, it's the most basic grain of salt that we all need to keep to keep working on and i really appreciate the work that you're doing i really appreciate that you're doing that with the small with the it's not small but with, with that uh start with that with that personal uh, start and then with that bigger community uh, uh and organizational um view which is also so important mm -hmm. thank really, you really appreciate your work and this and the courage that, that that's one thing that i really wanted to to bring up when it comes to speaking up about our stories and when it comes to speaking up about the the long journeys uh, i feel that these are stories of courage these are stories that we need to be sharing because mm -hmm. we are so used to seeing courage as a battlefield as somebody killing another person or fighting a war but true courage is in this personal life stories of thriving uh, regardless of, of difficulty of survival forgiving of looking for justice in a way that it, that it's actually helpful uh, of daring to speak up even when when it's so painful so thank you so much for for bringing your story to the conversation and to the world that that is so so important mm, thank you so much love and and again i'll reiterate that magic of like doing the epic thing doing the courageous thing like it's for us like it has to be for us right so i'm like It's, it's like, yeah, discounting that savior complex thing we were talking about. And so my mindset is not like, oh, I'm going to share today, even though it's so hard. And so it's like, no, it's not that. It's actually like, 
Oh, that's really empowering and grounding for me to share about this. And it really fills my own cup and allows me to like appreciate myself and like practice speaking about something I'm passionate about and it's going to impact people and inspire people and hopefully educate people. So it's just like, again, just welcoming in that mindset of like, it doesn't have to be, oh, is it for me or for you? It's like, actually it's for all of us. Yeah. 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 And also I just want to, to extend this, um, appreciation to all the women that have been survivors and that have there to speak up or just to keep going every day regardless of how hard it's been I, I just really feel like there is so much courage and so much so, so much power in in that life experience of mostly women unfortunately that's experience that it's uh, again mostly women but also has been lived by many men so I, I just really want to share this loving appreciation for their for all of the survivors of sexual abuse, and I just want to thank you so much for this uh, for for this time. Um, I will be posting down uh, in the comments and in the uh, in the description the links where people can find you and can find your work. And mm -hmm. I just really want to say thank you again. Mm -hmm. Thank you, love. I'll add to if you're posting links. Um, I do have a free training. I'll give you the link to that. It's marleylist.com, M-A-R-L-E-E-L-I-S-S.com slash free training. Um, and it's all about like healing relationship to your body, coming back to your body. It's super beautiful. And also I always tell people like if this um inspired you pissed you off, confused you, made you really joyful, like whatever it did for you, you're so welcome to reach out. Um, my Instagram is like M-A-R-L-E-E-L-I-S-S, Marley Liss. Um, and I'm a human. I always love hearing when people are like, oh my gosh, I just listened to this episode. So feel free to do that. And thank you, Sasha, for the work you do and for sharing that that piece about like the survivor solidarity and love. I feel that, I feel that a lot. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody. Make sure that you, that you follow Marlene, all her social media and that you get her first.